please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. And, and this week, you know, last week, uh, I was in the studio by myself, and, and we did kind of the patriotic special July 4th holiday weekend talking about, you know, founding principles and the gun culture and the reasons that we believe what we believe. And there has been a lot going on in, in the media and current events in, in the last month, really, that we've been discussing in detail. But I, I want to take a chance to step back from the the chaos that is going on. I mean, there is so much. You, you look at what it's going on with the the investigation in Clinton's emails there's hearings going on there's always a new push for more gun control for reasons left right and center there's police shootings going on there's there was that that gentleman in Minneapolis who was shot for no reason whatsoever i mean all of this kind of turmoil is bubbling around and a lot of people are afraid and a lot of people are you know not really sure of what's going to happen in the future and and in light of all this i think that we should take a a, a step back from current events and start to talk about training because no matter what's going on in your world what's going on in your life the training is something that can't be taken away from you it's something that they can't ever remove from your repertoire and knowledge is power and and as you increase your knowledge of firearms increase your knowledge of skills and tactics increase your abilities those are things that will be with you for the rest of your life and it is a worthwhile endeavor and i've always believed that education is not just a means to an end but a goal in and of itself and that the act of increasing your skills increasing your knowledge base and and learning more deepens a person's intellect it deepens their character and helps them to be a fuller, more complete citizen. So let's take a minute here and think about what can we do to be a better gun owner? What are the steps that we can take to, to deepen our knowledge in a variety of different fields? Practice. Practice. Yeah, and, and practice is an important aspect. Jesse's in the studio with me this week, and, and you know, we last week, uh, I know you weren't feeling terribly well, but um, before then, you had made a new purchase. Yeah, I bought a Ruger 1911. Commander length. Yes. A little stubby thing. It's not stubby. It's only three quarters of an inch shorter than the one you carry. But it, it throws the balance in a completely different way. I like it. Why do you like it? Because it's not the one you carry. <laughs> Yours are are heavier for me, and, and this one is a little bit lighter, even though that three quarters of an inch is not that much. It makes it a little bit lighter, so I'm, I'm a little more comfortable with it than your big ones. Do you know why five inch and three, four and a quarter inch was the numbers that it was settled on? No idea. Those were the barrel lengths of the single action army, and this was the replacement gun for the the single action army that the army had commissioned and so when they wanted they wanted it to be the same five inch barrel that was available in the single action army and then the four and three quarter inch was the cut down version that was the gunfighter edition of of the single action army and it was carried by people who were supposed to be quicker draw the idea that that extra three quarters of an inch would allow you to clear leather that much faster and it all just kind of carried through in the mentality of what people saw 
saw as being the defining characteristics of the firearm. Do you think it makes that much in- difference on the draw? I I do, honestly. Every every fraction of an inch that you don't have to lift up makes a big deal. I think that there are other ways to combat that. I mean, I have a holster that Stephen Malice made for you can me. You make your arm a little shorter. <laughs> I have a holster that Stephen Malice made for me for my Smith & Wesson 500. It has a 6-inch barrel on top of a frame that's almost 5 inches long. So It you, looks like the gun that Hellboy would carry. You've got an 11. If you're going to draw it out of leather on your hip, you've got to pull it up 11 inches. And that's just you know not feasible, really, in a, a normal draw. You can rock forward. It is. The front of the holster is cut away, and that's that's an old trick, but Malice was able to do it reinforced with a steel spring so that it's cut away all the way down to the front sight. And so all, when I draw that gun, all I have to do is clear the cylinder from leather, which is about three inches, and then I pivot forward and clear leather with the barrel coming through the front of the holster. And it makes a world of difference. It makes the draw stroke equivalent, you know, three to four inches, which is about any standard, you know, revolver or semi-auto's draw length. And so it's the same motion I use for a 1911. It's just heavier gun to make the swing through. And I'm incredibly fast with that because of the design of the holster. But, yeah, every every inch of less vertical pull that you have is faster time on target. Well, so I've ordered a holster from your holster maker, Malice. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be working on my holster for me for my new. His company's SCS Custom Leather. You can find him on Facebook, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because I've seen the rig he made for you, and it's it's good. Well, the you, you're talking about the the uh, wild bunch Your cowboy rig, rig yeah. yeah, that I have that's made for 1911 that has the the conchos that are um, Indian head nickels from 1911. Yeah, I mean he his attention to detail is really phenomenal, and I can't say enough good about him or SCS Custom Leather. Um, he and I have been friends long before. He started dabbling in holster making, and he is just a—he's a good guy, and he's very funny, and he has a, a beautiful, wonderful wife, and and they are just a, a joy to be around. So it's always good to have. Them. We should have them on the show. Yeah, sometime. we should bring him on. He's pretty funny. Yeah, with and his British accent, it would be the the Georgia Carey Comedy Hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid a lot of it wouldn't be appropriate for airtime. I, I think he could keep it clean. He's yeah. pretty good. His Facebook page is hilarious. Yeah. His Facebook page could practically be a, a public page. When I'm feeling blue I don't, and I know what to do, I just go to Malice's page and look at the goofiness there, and it'll make you smile. But yeah. So, yeah, but holster design is important. And, and But we were talking about you, you picked yourself out a commander. And it's a Ruger. So my husband says, I said, it's the shorter one. No, it's not. No, it's not. And then it took him to lay down the gun beside his own 1911. And he says, wow, this one's shorter than mine. I've been telling you that for a week and a half. Well, I didn't really get a good chance to look at it. I knew that they had both of them there. And when I saw it come out, when we first walked out of the store, he said, oh, I think he gave me the longer one. No, I said, I, I think I bought the shorter one. Okay. I meant to buy the shorter one. Right. I'm pretty sure I bought the shorter one. And you were like, no, that one's the same length. That's the rats. I meant to buy the shorter one. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just adapt to the longer one. But it is the shorter one. 
and by itself you don't even notice yeah it's it's such a minuscule difference between the two that and, and until you're picking it up and you feel the, the difference in weight i was trying to figure out why it felt different in my hand the weight distribution is different the barrel is not as long so there's not as much weight at the front yeah so the weight distribution is a little bit different on it it, it feels heavier in your hand i've got a uh, rock island armory with a extended magwell and the magwell extension adds weight to the grip and it felt more like that. It felt the weight was further back in my hand than balanced against my fingers. No, it's in 45 ACP. Which is the way God and John Moses Browning intended it. I was really amazed at the fact that it didn't kick really hard. I expected it to, like, kick so hard it hurt my hand. Well, you know, we can get you some new springs and up that baby to 45 Super, and then it'll kick like that. How about no? <laughs> Do you know what 45 Super is, Jesse? Nope. Okay. They took a standard 45 ACP cartridge, and they used different metallurgy to make the brass stronger. And then they pushed the speed up from the exact same length cartridge. So any 45 ACP gun can be converted to 45 Super. You're just putting more wear and tear on the gun. But the, the, the new frames like Ruger's and the, the Colt 1991A1 series, the metallurgy in those 1911s is strong enough to handle 10 millimeter, which is the same velocity as 45 Super. So all you have to do is change out a few springs and you've got a gun that will run 45 super and you're then going instead of pushing a 230 grain bullet at 800 feet per second you're pushing it at 1200 feet per second it's the same end as a low end 44 magnum okay so it's nice to know but we're not converting my gun okay i like it the way it is okay what i what i wanted to do i can actually hit with it <laughs> the they they recommend that you have a um barrel that has a, a integrated feed ramp it's called a nolan feed ramp um think about the barrel in your 1911 you know how the barrel is kind of flat and then it has this ramp that comes up to yeah. it that's part of the gun a nolan ra- uh, ramped barrel has this part of the frame cut away and the ramp is a part of the barrel Oh, really? Yeah, and that's supposed to make it stronger and so to handle higher pressures. Uh, pair of ordnance. My double stack 1911 and 45 ACP has a Nolan ramped barrel in it, and I had always toyed with the idea of converting that to 45 Super so that I'd have 14 rounds of 44 Magnum on my side. Crazy. Yeah, it really ups the. You know, do you know who has a 45 Super? Well, actually, I think he has a 460 Roland. 460 Roland is 45 Super only. It's extended the, the length of the cartridge slightly so that it will not chamber in a normal gun. But uh, our friend John Allred has a 460 Roland, oh, really? and he loves that sucker. We're, we're coming up on a commercial break, so we'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. We're back, folks. And when we took the break, we were discussing a little bit about different calibers um, based off of Jesse's new purchase of a Ruger 1911. And I, I had mentioned that uh, 45 Super is an option that's out there that is the exact same cartridge design as 45 ACP, and any 45 ACP can be chambered up for it. Now, there is an extended version called 460 Roland that, cause, that requires a barrel swap because its uh, cartridge is slightly, ever so slightly longer than 45 ACP. You mean ever so slightly, by like 
like an inch, right? I mean, like by a thirty-second of an inch. Oh, okay. So you couldn't even see it with the naked you, eye. You barely can tell if you put two of them next to each other. You could barely notice it. But if you loaded a four sixty Roland into a forty five ACP gun, shoved the magazine in, and closed the slide, the slide wouldn't come to battery. It would be just enough to hold it open slightly, so it would never be able to fire. And the idea there is just like the the forty four Remington Magnum and the forty four Special. They lengthened the cartridge so that you couldn't accidentally put the more powerful cartridge into a two week gun to handle the, the pressure. Four sixty Roland, I want to say, cooks out of there around twelve fifty to thirteen hundred feet per second. So now you're getting into mid range forty four Magnum levels or um, low end four fifty four Casual. I mean, that, those are like the monster cartridges of, of normal cartridge dumb. Uh, I mean, you can get into the really wild stuff like, you know, um, 460 Smith & Wesson Magnum and, and 500 Magnum but and um, 500 Line Ball, which is even more powerful than the 500 Smith & Wesson Magnum. That's, I'll stick to my 45 ACP. And why do you like it? Um, it didn't kick as bad. Well, you know, it's not like I like it better than all the others. Um, I was accustomed to carrying a 380. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing I was carrying was a Walther PPK. Well, that's just classic. It was beautiful. I love that gun. And then I started carrying a Ruger LCP. In pink. In raspberry. And it, that little gun kicked. Um, when you fire it, you could feel like energy come off of it and smack you in the face. It's just a weird, really weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the before the nineteen eleven forty five doesn't have that. Does it? No, it does not. I was it was a pleasant surprise because I expected it to to feel like that. And when when I first bought my first gun, my first handgun, I bought a nineteen eleven, and I did it on a recommendation from my friend Jeremy. And I had never fired one. I didn't know really much anything about them. And I got to my grandparents' place in Valdosta, and I went out to shoot it. And suddenly, I'm holding the magazine in my hand, and I'm holding the gun in the other hand. And it dawns on me. I have no idea how much this thing is going to kick. I had shot, you know, rifles before then, and I've shot everything from twenty-two to seven mag, so I know what kick is. And it dawned on me, I have no idea what this thing is going to do, and I was afraid of it. So I put the magazine in, and I racked it, and I, with fear and trepidation, I pulled the trigger, and I thought, "Wow, that's nothing. That's easy. It's like it's meant to be. Just it's just perfectly in tune with itself." And some guns and cartridges just do that, like the FAL and 308. I hate 308. It kicks like a mule to me. Uh, all the bolt actions I've ever fired, it just it seems brutal. Isn't that the gun I got you as a gift? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was the gift you got me, and and I appreciate it. It was kind of a quasi Father's Day gift. But I couldn't remember if that was the one I got you. If I got you something else, no, that was it. I thought it was the FAL. And I when I first fired an FAL. All of the recoil was just, I mean, it was manageable. I mean, it was really sweet. It was that perfect, you know, kind of like the perfect price index between supply, demand, and, and price, where you hit that middle of the X, and it was just perfect. The FAL has that perfection of cartridge and design platform, just like the 1911-45 ACP. And people have stretched the 1911 to do so much more. I mean, I want to say that there's something like 45 different cartridges available in the 1911 platform. Everything from 22 long rifle up through 22 TCM. And on the far end, you know, 50 GI. So, I mean, there's everything under the sun that you can squeeze into that platform. But few of them, if any, meet the, that kind of design perfection of what 45 ACP is to the 1911 frame. And the reason for that is because John Browning designed the gun around the cartridge. 
That's smart. It was the the cartridge was was mandated, right? The the army had said this is the kind of cartridge we want to use. This is what we want. Now, uh, submit your offerings. And the only two guns that made the final selection um, was the 1911 model from John Browning and a Luger. Luger offered up a Luger pistol, you know, with the, the camming action on top, just like the 9mm Parabellum version, chambered in 45 ACP. And I want to say that there were either five or ten test guns submitted to the Army Ordnance Department back in 1910 for final evaluation. And in the end, the simplicity of the 1911 design, that it could be taken apart and reassembled quickly and easily, that it had very few moving parts in comparison to the Luger that had to be hand-fit, uh, prevailed and, and saved the day, but if if it had gone a little differently, we might have been using Luger Luger model 1911s or Luger Eagles maybe here in the U.S. for the next 30 years up and and it would have been really a, an interesting twist of fate to see how that would have played out, considering that World War One was only four years away. Perhaps us having a, a military uh, contract with Germany at the beginning of World War One, and us b- in exchanging war material pro- leading up to World War One with the sentiments of you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt in office, maybe we would have seen the war on a different side. Could, could you imagine if we had entered World War One on the side of, of Germany instead of Britain? I mean, it, it, it's entirely feasible. That that was one of those pivotal moments in U.S. history where we were at a tipping point, and it could have gone either way. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was elected, and he leaned towards you know the English and and British aristocracy, and it. But very, that that election, if Teddy Roosevelt had won re-election or had prevailed, and when he dumped the Republican Party and ran as a bull moose, it could have easily have tipped the other way, and. Roosevelt was much more in line with the imperialistic ambitions of Kaiser Wilhelm. I mean, we had the Great White Fleet. We were sailing around the world showing off American hegemony, that we were we owned the Western Hemisphere. We sent our fleet to the Philippines. We had taken over the Philippines. And here's uh, Germany expanding its colonial imp- a, a interests against the British, which was one of the precipitations of World War One, And we could have easily, especially if we had had that kind of connection with with arms that we were exchanging back and forth if we had accepted their contract to supply arms for our military we could easily have been on the side of germany in world war one which would probably would have led germany to win world war one and there never to have been a world war two yeah oh japan would have never attacked pearl harbor with if we if we were on the side of germany in world war one and had that kind of deep connection japan still would have had its imperialistic tendencies but they were not looking to fight with germany and us um they probably would have went south towards australia and since we would no longer have very good relations with great britain australia wouldn't have been an american problem we we had our interests in china if they had stayed out of china and went south towards australia we may never have gotten into that fight we didn't want to get into the fight in the first place even though they kicked us out of china they we didn't get interested in it until they bombed pearl harbor and the only reason they bombed pearl harbor is because they knew that we were going to move in when they moved on australia so not to interrupt your theoretical history lesson but did you see the um professor the college professor this week that is he's an anti-gunner and he tried to put his students up to going to the nra and shooting it up getting guns and killing everybody at the nra office because it was the only thing that would ever fix it good news everybody the anti-gunners are more violent than the gunners the the truth of the the matter is 
if we were half as violent as they think we are, they wouldn't exist. Because we'd be like, oh, there's another one. Pow! <laughs> well, they're willing to shoot us. Some some people have espoused rhetoric that is over the top. And I don't think that anyone takes that terribly seriously. No one, no rational person wants to go and shoot up the NRA or go and shoot up a police station or run over people on the connector. I mean, these are just things that rational people don't espouse. It may be something that they say in the heat of passion when they're not thinking rationally, but... I'm not saying that I would like to run over people on the connector. What I am saying is they would might think twice about blocking the connector when a methed-out truck driver comes through there at 90 miles an hour. I mean, bad things happen. Why are you going to put yourself at risk for bad things happening? Well, and see, this is the whole mentality. That, of, no, 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 no. Let's, talk let's put ourselves at risk. And then when the bad things happen, we're going to blame somebody else. Why do we put ourselves in, in the way of bad things happening? That I think that is a good question to ask about all of this. Because we, I mean, when you're... The guy in Minneapolis that got shot, I don't, I don't think he was doing anything wrong. He had a permit. His girlfriend has videoed the whole thing. I think that cop panicked mm-hmm. and probably has some form of PTSD and shouldn't have been on the job. I'm, this is just my theorizing. My theory. However, the guy in Louisiana was carrying a gun illegally, mm-hmm. showed it to a homeless man that wouldn't leave him alone. So he essentially had just threatened the homeless man with the firearm. Yep. And at that point, they were afraid that he would pull them out pull the gun out on him so they tackled him down and when he was reaching for the the firearm then they shot him Mm -hmm. okay so this is he he put himself in danger's way if he had taken a different stance he he was a criminal he had previous convictions he wasn't allowed to have that firearm if he had been there selling his cds a homeless man had walked up to him and bothered him and he had pulled out a cell phone and said, hey, I'm at the corner of such and such and such and such in front of this store. Got a homeless man here who's really heckling me and trying to force me into giving him money that I'm not going to give him. They would have come and done something about him and this guy would still be alive. But instead, he decided to break the law. And this happened so many times. It happened with the the original person that got Black Lives Matter started. That young man who tried to wrestle a gun away from a cop. And got shot and died. And their mother's always yelling, oh, not my son. My son wouldn't do that. My son. Their son did do that. And they willingly put themselves in harm's way. If you would respond to the police officer the right way. If you would not reach for his gun. If you would not break the law, maybe you wouldn't be in the situation you're in. Well, how, how, where do you draw the line between stupidity and heroism because i mean there it could be seen either way the the people who did the sit-ins that we were talking about a few weeks ago i mean they weren't obeying the law they were putting themselves in harm they weren't violent either i mean we talk about the greensboro four okay the four gentlemen that went into the woolworths and sat at the at the lunch counter and said they didn't sit there haggling the waitress they sat there quietly and peacefully 
They didn't say nasty things to the waitress. They didn't say nasty things to the media. Well, is they that, sat there and said nothing. But that's a cultural thing. Our culture has changed. People are not polite anymore. Everybody is mouthy and in your face and and gruff and but, caustic. But even today, when people are mouthy and, and gruff and caustic, it makes the situation worse. And if we're trying to do a peaceful protest... We still have to do it the way Martin Luther King Jr. would have done it, in a peaceful way. You can't say, oh, we're peacefully protesting. Screw you, MFers. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. You have to be the, you have to be the bigger person. If you're going to do a peaceful pr- protest, you have to be the bigger person and do it peacefully. We are at a commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So, you know, we've been discussing a variety of different topics. One of the things that I really wanted to get into when we started the show was training and and different ways that you can get more training because this is something, education is something that cannot be taken away from you. It makes you a better person, and training is very important. And one of the, the avenues that we're fortunate to have here in Georgia is not just, you know, NRA instructors. And I want to talk about some NRA classes in a minute because things have been changing there, and it's kind of shocking to me. But um, not just NRA instructors, but Georgia Carey instructors, right, Jess? I mean, there's now you can become, if you are an NRA instructor or a law enforcement instructor, you can become a Georgia Carey instructor. I received an email Thursday from GeorgiaCarey.org that was going over, like, the itinerary for the um, convention. Mm-hmm. And apparently they're offering the training class at the convention this year. I don't know how you go about signing up for that. I didn't get that that far into the detail, but I realize it. Now, in order to um, go to that training, you have to already be like an NRA instructor or, or one of those post-certified, I think. I think they'll let police officers they do. participate. But um, I think you already have to have one of those certifications before you can go forward and right. get the Georgia Carry. And the NRA instructor qualification is really a gateway. It opens up a lot of doors. That's how I got to be a Utah instructor back in the day. It's the way Georgia Carey is allowing people to become instructors. But, you know, this is a way that you can get good training from someone local who's interested not only in firearm safety. And that's that's kind of the downside to a lot of these classes is that they're willing to teach you about how to clean your gun and not shoot yourself in the foot. But they don't really want to talk about where you can carry and how you can carry and why you can carry. They just want to do the real basic stuff. And and so a GeorgiaCarry.org instructor is much more versed in carry law, in use of deadly force, and the real aspects that you're going to face as a person who's carrying a handgun in polite society. So this is a good opportunity. Now, this is open um, to GeorgiaCarry.org members who are instructors to be come certified as a Georgia Carry instructor, but everybody can become a GeorgiaCarry.org member. Right. And the, the easiest way to become a member is simply to go to the website, www.georgia, all spelled out, carry.org, and click on Join Now. For $20 a year or $500 for a lifetime, you can become a member and start to get the email updates on everything that's going on underneath the Gold Dome and around the state. And there are a lot of other opportunities that you have to be able to sign up if you don't want to do it online. We have a Facebook page for GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour for this show. And we post a lot of interesting news articles, plus some funny things, because 
I have a good sense of humor, and, and Doug borrows it sometimes. But you go on there, and, and you like us, and you'll get to see all of the interesting things we have to share during the week that's not show-related. Plus, the more likes we get, the more likely we are to be able to get on your local radio station. Doug? And that's right. We're, we're trying to get a lot more national attention for syndication. And as we're dealing, there's there's been some interest in some different venues. We need to get more direct uh, rating show. And the way that we do that is through Facebook. Uh, Facebook shows how many what reach we have, what different areas we're getting to, and our membership. Now, if you are a member of GeorgiaCarry.org, you should like both not only our Facebook page, but the Facebook page for GeorgiaCarry.org. Those two pages open Open up a lot of doors for both organizations to be able to expand, but there there are other ways that you can help us. And and one of the the best things is to go and volunteer. GeorgiaCarry.org members are out at gun shows every weekend, at fairs and festivals, and and things going on around the state. And this is a good opportunity for people to be able to meet and greet, to let people know what we're doing and what we're about. So if you're a member. You can go to, you know, the volunteer coordinator through georgiacarry.org's webpage and volunteer to go work at a gun show or at a festival. And if you're not a member, those are great places where you can go and become a member. It's a place where you can pay cash and get your membership, sign up and, and meet somebody. The other option is to go to a local chapter meeting. And we have local chapter meetings all over the state. Yes, we do. All the way from, from Valdosta and Tifton up into the Northwest Corridor out to... Augusta, there are no local chapters popping up everywhere. And the local chapter meetings are really a good opportunity to really meet people and get to know each other in a friendly environment. Often these are held at restaurants or at gun ranges, and it gives a chance for you to hear a speaker, someone who talks on a topic. I know that we've discussed firearms trusts at these before or gun law, um, what's going on in the legislature. Meet uh, your board member is uh, always a popular one so that you can throw questions at Chuck Turney on what on earth are you people doing up there. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. You get a lot of interest, and you can sit down and, and really get to know other people who are interested in firearms and interested in promoting firearms. You know, we, we get there's, – there's this kind of bad rap that goes around, right? I mean, you, you see the people who make the news. The news is picking the nutballs to be on the news because they're interesting. and Brian because Williams. Yeah. And so – you got to be careful. You know, you get this, this impression that it's all gun nuts and that people who are out there in fringe element. When you go to a chapter meeting, you realize that these are your neighbors. These are the people right down the street. These are all the people who have the Georgia Carry stickers in the windows of their car. And this is a big opportunity for you to really start to network and find out who are believers in freedom and who is going to have your back if, if there is trouble in, in your life or in the nation at large. These are the people you want to have good connections to. So this is a good opportunity for us to be able to branch out and network and, and fellowship with each other through the local chapter meetings. And finally, uh, the convention's coming up, like you mentioned, Jesse. Yes, know, the, the convention's coming up, and I want to say it's the 5th and 6th of August, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's going to be a poker tournament and a lot of panel discussions zombie and, shoot. and a breakfast and a special lunch for the Lifetime members. Is there a zombie shoot? I'm not sure about that. There, there is, and what they do is they set up little tiny zombies, and you shoot them with airsoft guns, and if you hit a zombie, you get a ticket, and you can put your ticket into a raffle to the different drawings. So there's like a gun, and there's like a lifetime membership, and maybe a hat or something. I don't know. 
get to have dinner with Jerry Henry. Who knows what they've got in the little buckets. But every time you hit a zombie, you get one ticket and you throw it in the bucket. And then they draw, they draw and whoever has the winning ticket from each bucket wins the prize for that bucket. So that's a good opportunity as well. And then right. Saturday, there's the panel discussions. Do you know anything about the panel discussions, Jess? Um, I'm going to be in one of the panels. I don't know anything about any of the others. There's well, a late, talk about yours. There's a panel discussion with uh, the, the women of GeorgiaCare.org. Different perspectives. I'm going to cover one of the perspectives of the media. Of course, the, the um, honest media, not the liberal media. That's how the point. So this is a, a full day. There's going to be vendors. There's a, a vendor showcase. There are panel discussions. There's different things going on in different rooms, all culminating, uh, culminating with the speaker who's going to come and, and talk about. And this this year the speaker is a media personality. Am, am I right? Um, I'm not really sure. I, I didn't see that. But... I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Was I, a, somebody I, from Breitbart? Breitbart, right? yeah. There was a reporter from Breitbart who covers gun issues nationally. And so he's got a lot of credentials, not just from Breitbart, but from other media sources before he moved over there. And it's going to give us a – the whole day seems to be really media-oriented because that seems to be the the crux of what's going on in, in this battle for people's hearts and minds is the media that's leading is the the front lines of this war you know whether a person is characterized as a gun nut or as being mentally unstable whether a person is characterized as being part of our culture or being you know a part of another and those battles go on day in day out and it's really always a war that's being waged for the hearts and minds of what i guess rush would call low information voters and those people are people who end up making a lot of the decisions at the polls, but they're basing those decisions on what they hear from the media. So the media is impacting elections and impacting the culture, impacting the way people think and feel about what's going on in the country. Now, why does he call them low-information voters? Mm, it's, that's something that's been going on for a long time. But they're, they're, Rush's perspective is that there are people out there who – go and vote but never take the time to really look into the the heart of the issue and so those voters are, are the most dangerous because they are reacting only to what they hear from the media we're at a commercial break so we'll be right back and now back to georgiacarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King Welcome back, everybody. Uh, when we cut to the break, we were talking about all the opportunities that GeorgiaCarry.org offers and the values of being a member. You know, there are a lot of things that, that make us more aware of our situation and carry a gun day in and day out. And one of the, the more terrifying things that has been going on happened in Dallas this last week. It happened in Dallas where five police officers were killed and seven were wounded by a young man who the media refers to as reclusive we don't know how legitimate that is but um he decided that he wanted to kill white people especially white police officers because of the recent shootings in louisiana and minnesota see you say recluse and when when we were talking about this before that that's something that kind of resonates with me because we as a, a species we want to label everybody we're, we're, we're tribal we we 
pull together in groups and we always have what's defined as us versus the other, right? The other is the one that causes trouble. Even if it's, you know, just the difference between you live on this side of the fence and I live on that side of the fence. Well, I was, you know, it was something so simple as they interviewed his neighbors and his neighbor says, eh, he didn't really bother anybody. And they go, oh, okay, he was reclusive. And that's the, that's, <laughs> that's the, how it works. That's the human drive to label someone as the other, capital O, other. Well, it's easier to label somebody as the other than to accept that the crazies walk among us. And, and see, that's, again, that's another part of that labeling because they're crazy. And, you know, I think that we have to accept that there are people who have, it's not crazy, it's not mental illness, it's not, um, you know, some, some genetic abnormality that's forced them. This is just evil. This is just evil. This well, is someone who said, I want to hurt people. I'm going I, to hurt people. I believe that that kind of eagle, evil not eagle there's eagles in all of us no <laughs> that kind of evil lurks within everyone and the thing that makes people act differently is their inhibitions um, I, I i can't agree with you there. And i, think I that see alzheimer's patients and they're mean and there's no reason for them to be mean other than the fact that their inhibitions are gone and now they get to act however they want. There's no repercussions for the actions. I mean, who's going to take a little Alzheimer's granny and put her in prison for smacking the nurse? I think that evil exists, but I don't think that everybody has the capacity for evil inside I don't, I don't think everybody has the capacity to for evil to kill someone, but I believe that everybody has a little bit of a dark side. Well, it depends on how you define dark side. But for for the level of evil we're talking here, the, the I want to hunt down and kill police officers level of evil. That's, that's the sick kind of, sick twisted kind well, of evil. But it's not sick. It's a choice. This is a mental choice. It's not a mental illness. This is just a choice that someone made that they wanted to cause pain. And they followed through on it. See, it's not mental they're illness. They're that kind of evil where I'm kind of like Grinch evil. Quit laughing. I don't want you to be happy like that around me. <laughs> I mean... Everybody's got their own little dark side. I think that this person just decided that that their dark side was the right side. And they switched over to thinking that those thoughts were the right thoughts to have. And that was the right behavior to so so now we hit a fork in the road right so we've decided that this isn't mental illness this is a choice this Mm -hmm. is a conscious choice so is the solution then to make it so that nobody can have guns no or is the solution something else and that's the fork of the road that we hit when we because we've been talking about mental illness for months jesse we have a mental illness problem in this country period this is not a mental illness case this is just like the ucla shooting this This one is is a mean murder a mean, horrible person who decided, well, since the police aren't doing anything for me and they're killing black people, I'm going to go out and kill a bunch of white cops. And see, the last time there was a, 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 mur- a murder like this of a young black man, there was a woman right here in Atlanta who put on Facebook that she was going to go out and, and shoot every white person she saw and kill some cops. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, and she's not allowed to use social media now for like the next two years. Yeah, they prosecuted her. They prosecuted her for it. And they should have. And just like they should prosecute that man who said he was going to go and shoot up the NRA office and encouraging people to do it. It's called inciting a riot. riot. 
And that's my thing about the downtown connector down here. Why are they not prosecuting these people for inciting a riot? Why are they allowed to go and block a, a major interstate highway to promote Black Lives Matter? And, and I'm not saying Black Lives don't matter, but I'm saying if you if it really matters that much to you, start in your own neighborhoods with the black on black crime. Because there's way more of that going on than there is of police shooting young black men. Well, there's there's a lot of crime in every neighborhood. There's a lot more crime as you go down the socioeconomic ladder. And there are a lot of people who would like to be able to say, oh, well, you know, people who live in trailer houses cause crime. Or people who live here cause crime. Or people who are of this color cause crime. It's not. It's the fact that they don't have opportunities that causes crime. When people turn to crime, and look... If you're going to be a good criminal, I've done criminal defense and prosecution, okay? Is there such a thing as a good criminal? Yeah, there are good criminals. There are people who are very good at being a criminal. If you're going to be a good criminal, it takes just as much work as it does to be a good businessman. Okay. And so you're going to have this choice. Are you going to put that effort into something constructive and build a business and and become wealthy through legitimate means or through a criminal enterprise? If if you accept my premise that being the criminal enterprise is just as much, if not more work than a legitimate business, why would anybody choose that path? Do you think the criminal enterprise is more work? Yes. See, I don't know. I, I do. From from my perspective and what I've seen goes into running a good criminal enterprise that actually is profitable and manageable. It is. It is a lot of work. Way more work than it would take to do to have the same amount of output from a legitimate business source. And see, I think that one could believe and and prove that more money is made selling drugs on the street than working at McDonald's. True, but the amount of effort that goes into selling drugs on the street and not getting picked up and being a distributor is more akin to running GlaxoSmithKline than it is to running McDonald's. And if you look at the, the millions that go into the illegal drug trade compared to the trillions that go into pharmaceutical trade it becomes apparent that it is much more profitable to do it legitimately. So then why are, why are the people who are able to run a successful criminal enterprise, and I'm not talking about you know the, the guy on the street. The guy on the street who's pushing drugs may make slightly more than the guy working at McDonald's, but it's about a net wash, especially when you start to factor in time taken out of the, the enterprise. You, know, you get arrested and you go to jail for two years. That's two years you're not making any money, and it all evens out in the end is, is my premise. Okay. But when you start to look a little bit higher up the chain, why do the criminal enterprise? Well, the reason they do the criminal enterprise is because they have no opportunity to get into the legitimate businesses that would be commensurate with the amount of compensation they receive from the criminal enterprise. Why do you think that? Because of socioeconomic factors. So because they didn't apply themselves in high school and go to college. They decided that it was going to be better to hang out and play video games. Well... I mean, this, I, this the, is what I see. That's what you think. But the, the people who are running cocaine through Atlanta are not doing this, you know, half-heartedly. This takes major planning, logistics, uh, financial planning. I mean, everything that goes into a major business. It is not just, oh, hey, let's go down to Miami and pick up like 10 kilos and bring it back up here. It doesn't work that way, Jesse. You have to have connections. You have to have business connections. You have to have financing. You have to have the logistics to move it. And you have to do it all under the radar without being able to tap into legitimate sources of loans. 
So the, the amount of work that goes into running something like that is astronomically more than starting a business that would run the same thing. And so it's not just that th- these are slackers who suddenly say, oh, I'm going to run drugs, you know, cross country. It's, these are people who were not given it, the opportunity to start in on a business for a variety of reasons. A lot of it is because they are looked down upon because of their social standing. And then they turn around and they say, well, hey, okay, I went and applied for a job here and they wouldn't give me the time of day. But these guys who are running drugs, they treat me like family. And this is how kids get in gangs too. Mm-hmm. And that's a, there's a big difference there. And so if we open up the socioeconomic field so that people who are intelligent enough to run these criminal enterprises have opportunities in legitimate businesses – I think that it's easier to work in the legitimate business than the criminal enterprise. And see, I think that if we took away the ability to have criminal enterprises like the black market for drugs, legalize the drugs, sell them so that they're taxed through the government and you can buy them at whatever um, dispensary or whatever then that takes away the black market on it and forces these people to work in real jobs. Would would there always be a black market, though? I mean, aren't there always things that we prohibit? I'm sure. I mean, you, you, you look in the countries where they banned guns and the guns have become black market. They're not gone. They're still there. We always say that that's the downside is that only the honest people are deprived of their firearms. Right. But there's a lot of different... Um, activities that we regulate or ban. I mean, you've got from beyond drugs. I mean, there's prostitution, there's fighting rings, there's animal fighting. There's, I mean, lots of things that we do that will spring up. Uh, I guess, you know, the end realization is that we have to make is that we can't dictate other people's behavior. We might be able to punish them for that behavior, but they're still going to do it. And the, the act of them doing it, but What's what's the end of that line? If you, are you going to legalize everything and just allow this like moral free fall where you can have cockfighting in the street because that that opens up the door for more illegal activity and 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 the criminal enterprise to grow again? I think there should be lines drawn where animal abuse is is not legal and human abuse is not legal and things that infringe on other people's rights. But unfortunately, we're out of time this week, so. Um, we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. You listen to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.